I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1969. The album is the story of... Actually, what's what's the full name of the damn thing? I think it's uh, the story, story and, and song. song. The story and song from The Haunted Mansion. Uh, the artist, Walt Disney. Sure, why not? And a bunch of other people. My guest is Cory Doctorow. Thank you for doing the show again. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Uh, the Haunted Mansion has a special place in my heart. I, was, uh, I tell people I was bitten by a radioactive haunted mansion when I was six <laughs> years old, and that's how I became the man I am today. So. I well, and that's just the thing is like I, the more I thought about, it, I'm like I'm really shoehorning this just so we can talk about the haunted mansion because this might be the least funny thing we've ever talked about, which is too bad because I I love the haunted mansion ride and I find it actually funny. Yeah, it is. You know? Well, and it's it's a funny collaboration. So you know the the there are lots of versions of the story of the haunted mansion, but the kind of um, consensus reality of it among people who who study it is that. Uh, there was a huge contradiction in building a haunted mansion at Disneyland. Walt mm-hmm. always wanted a spook house. There's early prospectuses that include it, but there uh, part of what Walt Disney was reacting against was the um, uh, griminess and kind of too much reality of the Kearney circuit. Sure. And so the idea of a spook house, which intrinsically is kind of falling down and and uh, in poor repair was something that Walt had a love-hate relationship with. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different versions of the of the house. There's this Museum of the Weird that Rolly Crump came up with, mm-hmm. which is a, a self-guided walking or guided walking tour of all this kind of surrealist, ultra-modern stuff. It really actually overlaps with the modernism era in Disney, the, the main design work. There's a really good book that will be out probably by the time you air this podcast. Uh, it's the fourth of the... they, they um, they painted as they chose books, histories okay. of Disney. And this is about the mid-century modern era at Disney. That's and awesome. about how people like Mary Blair and so on were, were bringing in all this crazy modernism and impressionism and mixing it with the kind of non-representational animation. Mm-hmm. And so you had this like crazy, super modernist, weird version, like kind of Jack Parsons... Uh, uh, quasi-Satanist version of the the mansion that was developed and then you had um, lots of other plans for it. Eventually Walt did this thing that was like I think the most toxic thing he did which was to replicate his horrible relationship with his brother. He hated his brother. Mm -hmm. His brother hated him. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's too strong a word. But they, they fought like cats and dogs. Yeah. And yet when they worked together they synthesized something important. Right. And so Walt would often find people who didn't like each other and make them work together and so in this case, um, a guy named Claude Coates, who was a scenery painter, mm-hmm. and a guy named Mark Davis, who was a character designer. And he told them, you guys are going to be the ones who are going to build my mansion. And then he died. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, they were able to build the mansion. And the story goes that they divided up the mansion in order to build it. So Coates builds everything up to, Coates is the scenery guy, builds everything up to the uh, ballroom, mm-hmm. which is just totally, uh, uh, first of all, it's a lot darker, but it's also totally atmospheric, mm-hmm. right? There's not a lot of um, characters. There's just, you know, the paintings and stuff, but there's not a lot of characters per se. And then after that, it's just characters. It's Mark, yeah. It's all Mark Davis. And that's where the, like, high comedy is, or low comedy, you know, it's where all the, the sight gags are and stuff. That's all Mark Davis stuff. Uh, and then over the years, of course, lots of other designers and imagineers and artists and storytellers and whatever have had a crack at the mansions because now there's uh, three 
plus Phantom Manor oh, in Paris right. and um, Mystic Manor in Hong Kong. And so the, the, they've taken different runs at it and it's gotten, uh, I don't want to say muddied, right? Because it was never very clear, but it's sure. gotten more blended, right? It's harder to kind of see those, those original bones underneath it. Mm-hmm. Um, the story and song comes out in 69. That's a year after the mansion, uh, or no, the year the mansion opened. Right. But it was recorded before the mansion was finalized. And you can tell there's a whole bunch of stuff that died on the cutting room floor, mm-hmm. including very notably um, the Hatbox Ghost. So yeah. the Hatbox Ghost is this weird gag where there's a kind of ghoulish fellow, kind of Phantom of the Opera-ish guy in a right. top hat, holding a hat box, and his head disappears, his face disappears, his hat stays where it is, and the head appears in the hat box. And um, the story was that they had uh, thought about doing it, and they'd never done it, that it had never been in the Haunted Mansion, but the people had like weird false memories of uh-huh, it. Uh-huh. Like, like they have memories of Sinbad appearing and you know, doing a movie about, uh, about a genie. Uh-huh. You know? uh, and, um, and then they found some footage Mm-hmm. from a soft opening, the cast-only opening of the Hatbox Ghost. And he was yeah. in it. Yeah. And then that was kind of um, a spark to, to bring him back. He's back now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have lots of better techniques for accomplishing the gimmick. Apparently the gimmick was, I think it was probably Pepper's Ghost before. That's where you have a yeah. sheet of polished glass in the dark and you use uh, fading spotlights to either side of the glass to reflect different things into the glass mm-hmm. so that they appear to be there and then they appear to vanish. It's how the old carny trick of the girl who turned into a gorilla worked, mm-hmm. where you'd have a, a girl at, at one end of a hallway, a gorilla at the other end of the hallway. The audience would stand in the middle where there was a sheet of glass and they would fade the spotlight up on the girl who would appear to be where the sheet of glass was reflecting her and they would crossfade that down and fade up the gorilla and you'd get a kind of crossfade of a girl into a guy in a gorilla suit then the guy in the gorilla suit would run out into the audience <laughs> and that was the blow off um, Pepper's Ghost is used all over the Haunted Mansion mm-hmm. uh, the scene in the ballroom where everyone thinks it's holograms is not holograms right. it's a giant pane of glass down the middle that uh, in one of the mansions uh, I think it's California. It is California. You can see a spider web over that. That's because someone shot it with a BB gun. And That's they right. put the roof on over the glass. So the in order to replace the glass, they would have had to take the roof off again. Mm-hmm. So uh, instead, they improvised this, this spider web in the middle. Oh, my God. And uh, and now there's another sheet of glass between you and it to stop you doing that because that would be bad. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so uh, they, the Hatbox Ghost is in the story uh, and song. He wasn't in the mansion until just a couple of years ago. There's there's also all this stuff the Raven does that was uh-huh. not, didn't make it in the mansion. Actually, was off the drawing board really early. If you get the acetates of um, the uh, voice checks, the, mm-hmm. the sound tests, and the, the the casting stuff for the for the mansion, mm-hmm. you can hear the narrator uh, talk about the Raven, which is this pestering bird that follows you yes, around. Yes, right, yeah. and. The, the raven, st- there's still two scenes with a raven in it. When your doom buggy spins around as you come out of the attic and go into the graveyard, you can see the raven in a tree. Mm-hmm. And then just before you come across the hitchhiking ghost, the raven is uh, over the archway. But he's not a major character, and he's not a con- uh, continuity through line mm-hmm. in the story, and he is in the, so- in the song and story. So that's interesting. But what's most interesting to me about the song and story is that they try to impose a story. Yeah. So yeah. there were a lot of different stories written for the Haunted Mansion before, during, after about what's going on. Mm-hmm. The reality is that it's a very thematic exercise and not a narrative exercise. Right. And this was a thing I did a stint at Imagineering as kind of an artist in residence at one of the groups there, which was really fun. 
And I'm a novelist, right? And so a lot of the things, a lot of the times when I talk to people, they talked about storytelling and about Disney Imagineering and storytelling and, and narrative spaces. Mm-hmm. And for me, the beauty of the best Disney dark rides, of which the Haunted Mansion is the apotheosis, mm-hmm. is how little storytelling they do in order to accomplish the same thing that stories do. Because stories are weird, right? Yeah. It's weird that we have like limbic emotional responses to... Um, made up stuff yeah right like it doesn't matter what happens to imaginary characters Romeo and Juliet had a less tragic death than the yogurt you ate for breakfast (laughs) because that yogurt at one point was alive and now it's dead whereas like Romeo and Juliet never lived never died and had no consequences Mm -hmm. and uh and yet we have these like kind of innate reactions to it and we accomplish this through a kind of cognitive illusion where novelists kind of trick your subconscious into thinking that characters that are imaginary are real so that your subconscious has an empathic response to them so that you feel an aesthetic reaction. Mm-hmm. So the point is not to make you cry over the character's plight. It's to make you feel the emotion that you get when you're crying over the character's plight okay, yeah. or to, you know, the elation or whatever. It's that kind of irreducible aesthetic experience of the characters and their, and their uh, trials and tribulations. An atmospheric ride can give you all of the emotional ups and downs without having to bother with the messy, ugly business of making you believe in imaginary people. Yeah. And my yeah. favorite example of this is actually the Pinocchio ride. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting contrast with the Little Mermaid ride. There's a, an Imagineer term of art here called the Book Report ride. Mm-hmm. So the Little Mermaid is a Book Report ride. Yeah. If you go through it, it's a California adventure. There's another one in Tokyo. You go through it, every beat uh, from the story is represented in a scene. Mm-hmm. In, perfect linear order and if you walk off that ride and someone says hey what's that little mermaid movie about you could tell them Mm -hmm. right the snow white ride the snow white scary adventures by contrast if you ride through that when you get off the end you could in no way recount the story but you felt all the emotional beats that Mm -hmm. the story's supposed to deliver so the haunted mansion for me is perfect in as much as it delivers this kind of numinous uh you know set of emotional experiences and that the story is is like there are so many stories teased at, but none of them are ever fleshed out. Right. Some of them contradict each other. The continuity is never a thing that anyone bothers themselves about too much. You know, too much consistency is the hobgoblin of a small mind. And when you come off, you've you've been through a set of emotions, including humor, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of humor, but without any storyline. And yet here in the story, the book and uh, the book and, and song. They really try to make a story out of yeah. it. Yeah. And it's not a great story. No. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's kind of incoherent and it doesn't like rise, it doesn't have rising tension. Mm-mm. And then there are a lot of weird choices like, although I'm pretty sure they'd finalize the narrator by then, mm-hmm. they don't use him. No. Uh, <laughs> right. They use this really crummy um, <laughs> ghost host voice. They use Thor Ravenscroft, but they don't yeah. use Paul Freeze. And, uh, you know, the, this, the guy that they use is British and he has this weird, or he fake British accent, he has this weird delivery. Uh-huh. You gotta wonder where the director was. His it's like, cackle's extra creepy to me. Yeah, and I then, like, like and they flange his voice in this weird way. Yeah. He sounds like, um, he sounds like, uh, like, like, uh, uh, interstitial material on a Spinal Tap concept album, <laughs> and 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 you know, but it's it it's all kinds of weird choices in mm-hmm. there, um, and they they don't use the ride script, which I'm pretty sure was finalized. At least the, I don't re- I've read lots of drafts of the script, and the edits they make I don't think came from earlier drafts. I think some dimwit was sat down to write the script for the record mm-hmm. and said like. 
well, I don't know what these guys were thinking. I'm going to rewrite this and just like, I'll make it better. Yeah. And uh, came up with some really bad edits, like mm. blew some of the jokes up and so on. Yeah. But it's it's part of a long tradition of uh, trying to backform stories mm -hmm. onto the mansion, which is done officially and unofficially. So there's this thing called the, uh, I think it's the ghost gallery that the cast members for the Haunted Mansion in Florida did, uh -huh. where they... Uh, they wrote their own biographies in a three-ring binder in the break room oh for all the ghosts. God. Some of which are now canon. Holy crap. So they've been integrated into official Disney products, including some I worked on. Amazing. And and become part of like the, the Bible, which is really interesting. There are all these outside versions. Then there's all the different things they've done with the bride to try and give her a yes. story. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, and then there's the story in Paris, which is much more explicit. And they got mm -hmm. Vincent Price to do a full narration of the Paris one, which never got used. God. They ended up switching to a French narrator mm -hmm. because they worked out pretty early on that it wouldn't be great to have English narration. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, but yeah, they, they, like there are lots of different versions of the tale. And none of them are very good, which is interesting because <laughs> the people who worked on them are pretty good storytellers. Right. And none of them are as good as the non-story of the Haunted Mansion. God, I hadn't thought about it that way because I'm so I'll, I I was not even as obsessed with the haunted. Man I'd been to it plenty of times, but wasn't as obsessed until on Boing Boing I saw Long Forgotten and then spent way too much time oh, yeah. reading the entire blog. He's amazing. He's brilliant, and he's makes every admission. He's like, I know that this doesn't have to be consistent, but I I'd like to see what the consistencies are and breaks down so much shit and yeah. what could the story be, what could the characters be, and it's crazy to then have read all of that be fascinated with it wait for new updates listen to this album where literally we've got poor Thorough Ravenscroft describing what you might see in the ride yeah <laughs> he's yeah, just yeah. describing maquettes and shit yeah yeah it's, insane. Yeah. it's really weird um, Long Forgotten is this fabulous blog uh, written by a kind of amateur Disney historian who really knows his stuff mm -hmm. and is really plumbing deep into the archives the song and story is really interesting um, it had a second life as a um, not Fish who's the other jam band Fish uh, and Grateful Dead. No, it's the only other one no, I can think one of. One that's not the Grateful Dead or Fish. <laughs> or Fish. Uh, okay. String Cheese Incident. Oh, okay. Every year they do a concept album, mm -hmm. and one year they did the entire song and story. Holy crap! Okay. Yeah, it's great. That's phenomenal. Uh, so it's had more than one life, and I saw yesterday I was looking on the Haunted Mansion Wikia page that mm -hmm. there's yet another person who's done a concept album of the song and story. Wow. So lots of people have tried uh, have done covers of this like 23 minute. Um, little long playing record that's nuts funny mm -hmm. um, yeah the other thing about the record is that the um, uh, the SFX are really poor they they're like really so badly bad. looped and mm -hmm. that you can hear the breaks and mm -hmm. it's just not great QA what is absolutely outstanding about that is the illustrations yeah um, I mean that's why I always wanted to buy it before yeah. I'd even been on the ride yeah they, they capture the palette so beautifully mm -hmm. the Haunted Mansion was also like the first golden age of Disney souvenirs. Mm -hmm. They really, they had this Randaza company that made all kinds of souvenirs for them, tombstones mm -hmm. and stuff. And they had all kinds of magic shop stuff sure. and fright masks and just all kinds of crazy, wonderful things. That's my origin story with the mansion. So, um, 77, I was six years old. We went to Disney world. My, my grandparents were Lauderdale retirees. So my parents and I went down for Christmas break. Um, we got my grandfather's you know air-conditioned land yacht and drove to Orlando and this was before Disney committed its first original sin which was to um, stop closing the park when it's overcrowded uh-huh uh, so now you except on 
like when the fire marshal makes them, they will not say, I'm sorry, there's too many people here, you can't wow. come. Which you can understand. If you've flown yeah. from Brazil for your day in Orlando and you get to Disney World and it's like the Griswold showing up at Wally World, right. you know, you'll be an angry man. So mm-hmm. they, we, they turned us away. We showed up and they turned us away. We went back to the hotel. We came back after six. They let us in. And it was in the days of ticket books. Mm-hmm. And so you had A through E tickets. The E tickets were for the best rides. You couldn't just buy E tickets. You had to buy them all. It was kind mm-hmm. of a load balancing technique. Okay. You'd take some horse drawn rides down Main Street <laughs> and to kind of fill the gaps between riding on Pirates and, and Mansion. And so at, at the end of, I think, two days, we uh, had one E ticket left each. Mm-hmm. And we were going through the list of things. And we hadn't been on the mansion yet, and I really wanted to go, and my mom thought I might be too afraid, (laughs) and I assured them that I wouldn't, and we got there, and it was not long before the park closed, and there was only one other group of people at the gate when we got there, and they were like teenagers, sort of Scooby-Doo age, Mm -hmm. and they were horsing around and making lots of spooky noises, and the cast member opened the door, she did this... You know, great like scenery chewing spiel. Like, Master Gracie requests more bodies, and and then I spent all of my allowance for the next ten years on souvenirs on the way out. And we got on the ferry boat to the parking. We got in the car and we started driving home. And I woke up the next morning on my grandparents' couch in Fort Lauderdale, and I said, "I guess I got home. Where's my souvenirs?" And they said, "Well, funny thing happened last night." Um, the car broke down and we called the auto club and they brought out another car for us, a loaner, mm. and we transferred you into it, but we forgot your stuff, oh. but we'll get the stuff back from the mechanic. Okay. And it never showed up. Oh no. And they discontinued all of it. No. And I never got it again. I owned it for less than 24 hours and my rosebud mm-hmm. ever since, you know, the, the dragon I'm chasing is the high I got from buying those completely badass souvenirs, some of which I've bought on eBay since, but sure. there's a few that have never shown up on eBay. Really? That I thought I might have imagined until I found them on Jeff Bayham's uh, hauntedmansion.com. Mm-hmm. I actually gave him hauntedmansion.com. Really? I registered it really early on. Amazing. And I gave it to him. Uh, and they do exist, but I've never seen them. These cards mm-hmm. that were illustrated by Mark Davis, and they um, have line drawings of slightly sinister looking, like stolid burgers, ladies and men, and businessmen, and so on. But when you, um, they fluoresce uh-huh. to show werewolves and vampires superimposed over the line art. And they were so cool. Oh. And they just don't exist. Oh. I have uh, bookmarks dating back to when eBay was called Auction Web uh-huh. to look for these things. Oh my God. Yeah. Holy crap. That's they phenomenal. It's never shown up. When did you get the album? When did you. Oh, must have been around then. Must have been around 77, 78. Really? Yeah. Have you. Is the one you have now the same that you've had since? No, 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 no. long gone. Okay, okay, all right. Multiple intercontinental moves. Mm. Well, you know, I say that. Mm. I have a storage locker in Wales still that um, we're about to, now that we bought a house here in in LA, we're about to ship the last of our storage stuff over. Maybe it's in there, Mm -hmm. but I'm not, I'm not making any bets. So do you have, do you know if it was the, actually, I don't know when they released a picture disc version. There's a picture disc version. No, it wasn't a picture disc. It was a little long playing record. Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't have a punch out. It had, it was, it had a regular spindle hole. Mm -hmm. Um, I think all the little long playing records had spindle holes instead of punch outs. Okay. Yeah. This is oh you, you, the one thing we also have not brought up is that one of the stars of this one of the two teenagers is Ron Howard. Yeah, that's right. At his most, Ron Howard actually sounds exactly the same right now. That's the crazy thing. Yeah, he does a reasonably good job with the material, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not a material for Mm-mm. sure. Mm-mm. <laughs> it is. It's just them describing the damn ride, and it just misses so much of of what I love about it. And I guess I hadn't pegged it, but I do. The idea that, that it is just the emotional experience of each thing. Do you have a particular favorite part of the ride that 
Not necessarily the funniest part, but we can get to that too. I think, so I love Claude Coates and I love his atmospheric work and I love the timing. You know what? I, I can, let me give you, so what I love are the transitions. There's okay. a couple of transitions that are amazing. So if the cast are running the ride correctly, by the time they open the stretch room doors, when after you the elevator ride is done, the hallway should be empty. And mm -hmm. so you have this experience, ideally, of being out in the bright sun mm -hmm. in Southern California in a huge crowd. And you walk into this uh, gallery and this spooky thing happens and you come out and you should be in an empty corridor. Everyone's disappeared and you should see the rain and the dark falling outside. And it's that moment of transition when it feels like you have just been transported to another world that is amazeballs. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a couple other transitions like that. The Coates to Davis transition when you come out of the seance room and go into the ballroom, mm -hmm. superb, mm -hmm. right? Just such a like a riot, like such a higgledy-piggledy <laughs> of every sight gag and character gag you can imagine. I actually, um, Kitchen Sink Comics did a set of comics about the Haunted Mansion, mm -hmm. and I did, without had potted biographies of each of the characters, uh -huh. as told as comic stories, and I did The Organist. Really, uh, in the ballroom, and then um, and then the other one is the attic to to uh, graveyard transition. Again, because that showroom is so big, mm -hmm. it's just a huge, huge room, mm -hmm. and because. Uh, you go from a, a very rigidly enclosed space that has the architectural cues that leads you to believe you're in a house. Like all of the Haunted Mansion is in a giant green Quonset box in the parking lot that's painted this color called Go Away Green. Mm -hmm. That's why you go down the elevator and down that long corridor is to get outside the berm, underneath the railroad, and into what used to be the parking lot, right? Okay. So it's not a building, mm -hmm. right? It's just it's just all these floating show boxes in, or like it's not a house. It's floating show boxes in a giant big black, black boxy show building but the attic feels like an attic it feels like you're really in an mm -hmm. attic yeah. and then when you come out it really feels so expansive mm -hmm. that it feels like you've come outside and there's so many different effects so you have pepper's ghost effects you have other kinds of projection effects you have uh, animatronics you have just plain like lighting effects you have um, a mix of sculpted uh, elements and uh, projection mapped elements. The first projection mapping, the singing bus, which is now everywhere and is the most cool ass thing ever, mm -hmm. and is the centerpiece of uh, Mystic Manor in Hong Kong, mm -hmm. which is the most ambitious haunted mansion. Not necessarily the most successful, the most ambitious they built. It's all there, all at once. And again, like it's so overwhelming. Like I'm a great believer that nothing exceeds like excess. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really excessive, like so over the top. <laughs> so those transitions, those are my favorite, those three transitions. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on when they change it? Oops, sorry, uh, this is more of a local thing because people aren't gonna notice much, but when they do the little Christmas, Nightmare Before Christmas changeover so it's nice to see it uh, -huh. uh and from a like an operations perspective the downtime means that it's much better maintained than it ever was so taking okay. it down for two weeks twice a year or a week twice a year lets the maintenance crews do a really thorough job of just keeping everything running and underneath the mansion you know if you're kind of backstage there there's a there's a machine shop down there because like everything is made out of like four-way linkages and 12 volt dc motors with rubber fan belts on mm -hmm, them. Mm -hmm. it's all broken all the time yeah, right? yeah yeah and like there's just they're just like milling new parts all the time right yeah. and uh they really give it a top to tail when when they take it down and when they put it back up again uh that said i'm not a giant nightmare before christmas fan sure uh and um I always have this fear 
that is the fan's great fear mm -hmm. that although you love a thing and it's part of your identity that you have no control over it and no mm -hmm. claim to it mm -hmm. and someday I'm convinced they're gonna leave the nightmare show <laughs> up I know and I've... then we will we will have lost our beloved mansion right and I'm a big Nightmare Before Christmas fan, but I would hate for that to happen. Yeah, I, the, there's the the character to it. Even when they switch things around and move, you know, I, I I did fall into reading that blog. Perfect timing, like literally, I got to the Hatbox Ghost thing. Uh, I started reading about a month before the Hatbox Ghost came back, mm. so I caught up perfectly. And then like a week after that, I got to go actually see the Hatbox Ghost. Was that was that kind of exciting to you? I'm curious. Yeah, no, that was that was totally boss. I had been at at Imagineering when that was being at, worked at on. the time. Oh, okay, wow. You know, so you know, know there's that. another one, right? There's a. I'm, uh, this is definitely public. There's another ghost mm -hmm. uh, that was um, on that you can see in Davis's drawings mm -hmm. that was thought never to have been in the mansion that was spotted in some footage. A dusting ghost. A really? Ghost. How have I not seen this? Okay. That may that may come back too someday. That's that would amazing. Be pretty exciting. That's uh, so good. And the um, so yeah the the the, uh, the nightmare story, eh, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Um, I like that they brought back the merch. That was another thing that I did a little bit of work on when I was at Imagineering was mm -hmm. the the roadmap for all that merch. There was such a a kind of like vacuum of good haunted mansion merch that was being filled on Etsy by like fan merch, which is still there sure, and still sure, thriving, sure. still pretty cool. But the um, the they brought back like 200 SKUs. They brought out like 200 Haunted Mansion SKUs, some of which are Nightmare, but a mm -hmm. lot of them are just plain old Haunted Mansions, really good t-shirts and That's uh, awesome. housewares. We have Haunted Mansion plates. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You know, just some really groovy stuff, yeah. um, which I'm glad to see. Not as much macabre kid stuff. The, if you're a monster kid, the Haunted Mansion doesn't have much to offer you. Right, right. Which is a pity, because, you know, I grew up a monster kid. I think like Mark Davis is like the lord and savior of monster kids mm -hmm. and there's just not much of that around have you i have to assume you've ridden the, the ride with the lights on or something you oh yeah i've yeah. toured it i yeah. mean i've been around with the maintenance crew overnight mm -hmm. and stuff i have a washer from the workshop in the basement yeah it's my little talisman i know. love it yeah it's so good um was there anything about it when you got to see it behind the scenes that actually genuinely surprised you that you as far in terms of like how something worked or how it was held together so i knew how low tech it was but mm -hmm. i hadn't anticipated uh just how low tech it would feel. Mm, okay. It does really epitomize the Disney aesthetic of um, having everything that faces the guest being as polished as polished could be. Walt's term was gold plating, mm -hmm. uh, or plussing rather, plussing. So as plussed up as it can be, very gold plated. And then as soon as you get out of the sight line that a guest could possibly have, it's just garbage. Uh -huh, you know, it's uh -huh. like unpainted, graffitied, mildewy, <laughs> you know, like everything is like that. So, you know, I, I've, um, you can dive the living seas at Epcot, mm -hmm. the big 10 million gallon saltwater tank that's got uh, multiple marine ecosystems in it mm -hmm. with a restaurant in the middle oh uh, that's underwater, which is pretty cool. It's amazing. Uh, so you can dive it if you're cer certified. So I've dived it a few times. And what's really interesting is that when you get behind those artificial reefs, they are just uh, chicken wire and cement. You know, like there's no painting on the side that doesn't face the guests. Right. Yeah. Well, no, no expense wasted, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what's interesting is there is expense wasted, arguably, with plussing. Because plussing is mm -hmm. all about doing things that no guest is going to point to and say, oh, that I touch is what made it. But it's supposed to, in the aggregate, make you feel like there's just a, a, a kind of quality, like a, an ineffable quality that you couldn't put your finger on, but the whole thing is 
held together in this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the that's a that's a very Disney thing. But just nothing for the employees. Hence, you know, maybe all the labor disputes. Right. right. <laughs> Is there anything in the in the? I'm not going to expect you to say yes. I laugh out loud at this every time I see it on the ride, or I ever have. But like in particular, like what, what's the sense of humor that you would you would say the ride has? And are there any particular bits that strike you still? Oh, there's a lot of great sight gags, and there's multiple senses of humor, right? So mm-hmm. like the whole decapitation thing in the attic with the electroluminescent paintings where the heads appear and disappear mm-hmm. and then you meet the bride. That's all super contemporary. That's neither Coates nor Davis. That's okay. like contemporary Imagineers. Um, the lyrics of the song are really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Xavier Atencio uh, wrote the lyrics, and they're they're just good, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Creeps with cre- just funny bits of dog roll that could be Charles Adams, you know. Creepy yeah, creeps yeah. with eerie eyes start to shriek and harmonize. Like mm-hmm. it's a nice little bit of, you know, you could see Neil Gaiman writing that. Like, yeah, it's yeah, pretty yeah. good. Um, the I love the stretch portraits. Yes, they're sure. they're just such a good little sight gag. They're animation, right? They're animation jokes, right? Right. Um, they're they're very Mad Magazine in that that kind of like turn the page and you see the other side For of the sure, joke or fold yeah. in the Al Jaffe fold in you see the rest of the joke, um, and I really like the very simple animation of the ghosts in the mirror during the um, final run down the hall of course of course they 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 have a lot of character for for some pretty low-tech robots Mm -hmm. pretty low-tech animatronics not a lot of actuators in there Mm -hmm. they do some pretty good comic movement Mm -hmm. yeah and they're just beautifully sculpted i mean that's what's funny is like i i'm trying to think because i don't know which particular elements i know that sometimes like dummy heads will be shared between that and the pirates of the caribbean ride right uh specifically for dancers that character animator on both of them Right. Yeah. So he did he do all the sculpting of all of it too? Or is I doubt it he did all the some of it outright. Himself. Okay. Uh, you know, he it's a studio, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he might have done maquettes of some, or mm-hmm. and then other people did the full size sculpts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do they do they still do new any new ones? Like, are they ever doing new faces well, or Hatbox anything? Is new. Right. Yeah. Uh, the the Q ghosts at Florida. Are mm-hmm. new. Okay. They, there's a whole set of new ghosts that are Q ghosts that look a little like the covers of the first editions of um, series of unfortunate events. Uh-huh. Uh huh. A little Charles Adamsy. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Um, Have you been to all the mansions then? Yeah. In fact, it's ridiculous. But we just got back from all three Asian Disney parks. Really? Yeah. My oh wife, my god. My wife works for studios, and so we used her employee discount, and we took oh, my parents. Right. Mostly, we visited three gorgeous cities in Asia, Hong Kong, Tokyo, and Shanghai, mm-hmm. but we also spent a couple of days in each of those parks. That's amazing. During the crazy heat wave that they're having there. We, we got out of Japan before they declared the state of emergency, but oh my God. holy moly, was it hot. <laughs> holy shit. The Japanese mansion's pretty amazing. So Tokyo Disneyland, the basic deal was, the, the so Disney doesn't own Tokyo Disney. It's owned by this company with the incredibly awful name of the Oriental Land Company. Okay. Uh, and OLC owns it and operates it, but Disney has the exclusive provision of design services to it. And so the way that it works is OLC can request anything, but Disney doesn't have to say yes. Okay. But Disney can't tell them what they have to have. So there's a kind of balance. Of power. Wow. All right. And so for a long time, the, the basic uh, modus operandi of Tokyo Disneyland was that OLC would say, we like this ride from one of the two and then eventually three parks just build the highest possible specification version of that here. So if the animatronic has 10 actuators, give us 20. If, you know, like, <laughs> just just like everything beautifully turned out in the same way that like 
Japanese replicas of vintage American jeans look more like vintage American jeans than vintage American jeans do. Yeah, yeah, okay. Tokyo Disneyland looks more like Disneyland than Disneyland. That's amazing. And the mansion is beautiful. And even, you know, my 10-year-old, who's quite callow and, and uh, has uh, less and less patience with each go- passing year for my fetish with Haunted Mansion, just wants to ride roller coasters that go ups- upside down. She... Uh, she said, "Oh my God, the hitchhiking ghosts are amazing." Yeah, yeah, just beautiful cool. sculpts, just really? like it's beautifully done, beautifully lit, beautifully actuated. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything that should be polished is polished to a mirror shine. Everything that doesn't, that should be covered in cobwebs, has the world's greatest cobwebs on it. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's pretty amazing. It's interesting to be able to. It's great for you to be able to have, to compare the two because I think people do love the warts and all version of what. The, what is here because mm-hmm. uh, there, there's some of some of the dust on the artifice is not so bad but it, I would love to see the polished version of that and if I'm not mistaken uh, Disney uh, um, Mansion was the first ride that they designed simultaneously for both parks okay for Florida and California mm-hmm. and there are actually some props inside the California Mansion when you're walking around back that are that are uh, stenciled for WDW, but they hmm. changed up which ones were going where. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know they were developing them both at the same. What time did? When did Disney World open? My dad was there for 50, the opening. Account. Disney World was seventy one. Seventy one. Fifty five. Okay, there yeah. we are. I was born on July seventeenth, which is the day Disneyland opened, and uh-huh. nineteen seventy one, which is the year Disney World opened. <laughs> and of course, that would that would be relevant to you. I love yeah. so much that you're that obsessed with it. Is so. <laughs> it, there'd be no way because you're not. A comedy writer, but you are a writer, and we know that you've written about theme parks. But I'm curious beyond that, what has the Haunted Mansion done to your creative self? I'm curious if it's if there's another way to just. Um, what's it done to my creative self? That might have been a very stupid way to phrase that question. Well, I've, I think you know, know I've mean. worked, on, I've done some mansion writing, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. The, and I can actually talk about it. Unlike almost oh, okay. everything I've done with Disney, which is NDA, this one won a prize, and they put all the contractors' names on it, which mm-hmm. releases me from my NDA. Okay, which is cool. I worked on a thing called Ghost Post. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all those things where you can sign up for like. Um, fanish swag in the mail you get a box sure sure they, they were they were called loot crates but now there's this confusion with this that in-game thing loot crates which are casino gambling for seven-year-olds uh-huh. um, but the, <laughs> the 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 loot crate subscription loot crates were a thing and so they wanted to prototype what a loot crate would be like for disney properties and um they decided to start with haunted mansion mm-hmm. and that they would make 999 of them mm-hmm. and we worked with a um uh, Conjurer's Propsmith, a very famous one who uh, does work for all the best magicians in the world, to design this custom merch that was part of a story that I wrote. Uh, there, was a, there was another writer on the project. Uh, I was the principal writer, though, and I, we, it, the story took the form of radio dramas that you played from your phone, um, newspaper articles in this newspaper that was uh, published by the ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, cards and thank you cards and invitations and notes from the ghosts and all sorts of kind of detritus, very like kind of bricolage mm-hmm. uh, and they all came together to tell a story like an alternate reality game and sure, there sure. were alternate reality game elements so at a certain point in the story if you brought your phone to the park it would communicate with elements in the park that we changed so like the Wurlitzer in Fantasyland would play a different song, would play the mansion song uh-huh. there's um. Uh, kind of compass around by the fish and ship shack uh, mm-hmm. kitty corner from the mansion that would do this animation and then uh, if you got in a doom buggy you would get a different script 
uh, as you rode through the mansion. That's if crazy. If you had unlocked that part of the ride. So I rode it. It um, uh, They put it in the Disney store. Uh, and the way that that works is it goes into the store at midnight, but uh, and they increment the SKU number by one. So if the last thing that went in there is 1,222, this is like DisneyStore.com something question mark 1,023, right? Mm-hmm. So they had a press release ready to go the next morning to announce it. But Disney super fans have figured out that the SKUs increment at, at midnight. Aha. Uh-huh. And at 12001, mm-hmm. they go and they start looking to see what's there. So some Disney super fans blogged it. And mm-hmm. they were basically all sold out before the press release went out the next morning. Holy crap. And they're going for crazy amounts of money on of eBay. Of course they Even are. though all the interactive stuff. I don't know if the interactive stuff is up or not. But certainly the stuff in the park, I think, is shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was uh, it was very successful. And it won the FIA, the Themed Entertainment Award. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the story that goes That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's a pretty direct yeah. impact on my work. I went and I wrote some Haunted Mansion stuff. That's partly because so I'm the world's biggest Haunted Mansion fan. My first novel is about fans taking over the Haunted Mansion, down mm-hmm. in the Magic Kingdom. Uh, so there's that. I wrote um, another novel, Makers, that's about uh, indie fan theme parks and dark rides built in the guts of... Um, uh, abandoned Walmarts mm-hmm. uh, and the fight they have with nefarious Disney IP lawyers over it uh, <laughs> which was fun to write mm-hmm. uh, and yeah I guess that's it that's that's the way it's influenced me that's perfect I mean it, it's it's not all because I here's the thing I get to ask that question a lot and I'm like oh, that's a dumb question but in your case knowing that you've actually gotten to write. Nobody ever has that experience. Nobody's right. like, oh, yeah, I listened to a bunch of uh, Alan Sherman, and now I'm writing the Alan Sherman movie. Yeah, Which, right. I yeah. mean, literally, I do know a guy who's trying to write an Alan Sherman movie. That's a bad example, but he hasn't done the podcast yet. So God, Godspeed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a rough go, I think. Um, so why listen to this album, if you can recommend it at all? Uh... You know what? You don't need to listen to this album, no, you to don't. be honest. You should look at the art, though. I'm mm-hmm. sure there's scans uh, yeah. online. The art's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's some of the best Haunted Mansion art that was produced. Um, and definitely you can see it forming inspiration for subsequent gener- generations of Imagineers who went back to the mansion. Yeah. Like the Hatbox ghost in the mansion today looks more like the one in the in the book that accompanies the record than the original like the sculpt original. right yeah, yeah 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 i've noticed that i like that i love that so much that that was a such perfect fan service and yeah it. and you know if you want to be a completist go ahead and listen but yeah mm-hmm. there's no not really any good reason if you're like a uh you know richie cunningham completist <laughs> you, can, you can give it a listen i will say you can find the audio on youtube still it has not been taken down yeah and if you want to try and buy the lp it can be a bit pricey Especially if you want a good quality. Aren't there one. like a bazillion reissues? Yeah, I, maybe. And maybe I know there was a, a CD reissue. reissue. Uh-huh. Uh huh. There were a whole bunch of CD reissues of all of that stuff, including like the old acetates and and everything. So. I know when Atomic Records here in Burbank had it, I was like, oh, I should get that for my then girlfriend. But it was like so cost prohibitive. I'm like, really? she, she she can come look at it on wow. the wall. It was yeah, it was crazy. But it might have been like an original yeah pressing first or pressing something. Or something. Who knows? Yeah. I have a funny story about the Tokyo Mansion before uh-huh. we wrap up. Sure. Which is the, and I've never had it verified, but it's sort of too good to fact check. Which okay. is the story goes that um, when they were uh, planning the mansion in Tokyo, you know, they had their trailer, the temporary office, and there were some Imagineers, and they were playing the narration over and over and over again in English, and thinking about how it might work in Japanese. And there was a Japanese data entry clerk in the room who was just typing documents, but being tortured by hearing this English over and over and over again. And eventually, he stood up 
and uh, made fun of it <laughs> in Japanese. Just nonsense, nonsense Japanese, right? <laughs> and uh, they were like, that is the voice. <laughs> so apparently that's the voice of the Tokyo Mansion. Holy crap, that's wonderful. Too good to fact check. I yeah, no of course. No, let's not bother with yeah. that. Um, thank you again for doing the show. My pleasure, thank you. Uh, I don't know when it'll come out, but is there anything else you want to try and promote generally? Uh, I just sold a big new novella to Macmillan called Unauthorized Bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be out in early in uh, 2019. Awesome. Uh, there's a film deal and an audiobook deal and a bunch of translation deals. It all kind of came together in the last couple of weeks. It was Amazing. odd because the story was a 30,000 word novella I never thought I'd sell. And <laughs> ended up at the center of a bunch of bidding wars. It's about refugees whose refugee housing has been built by a big developer as a condition of planning permission. So they build a luxury building, but there's a different lobby you go into and on some floors they have subsidized housing for refugees the elevators only go to those floors if there aren't any rich people in them so they don't have to trouble themselves with it and all the appliances have drm on them so you can only toast authorized oh, bread in your toaster fuck. and use authorized dishes in your dishwasher to extract as much money from possible as possible from them and when the hedge funds that own these companies that make these terrible appliances go under this the appliances stop working so everyone starts jailbreaking them which is great and it's a new golden age in their lives until the day that um it, the uh, hedge fund funds come out of bankruptcy and uh, they start to reactivate them and the people in the building realize that they're about to lose their homes, their right of a vote in the United States and maybe their lives if they get deported back to the war zones that they've fled from. It's about how they resolve that. It's too bad it's irrelevant to today's yeah, problems. Yeah, no, it's like that's it really sucks. Okay. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. That's, that's amazing. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Go to CelerySoundRecords.com if you want to find my comedy albums. That's about it. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. 